Hi, everyone, and welcome to Consulting with Authority. My name is Scott Cantrell. I am joined by a new friend of mine, uh, someone that I have gotten to know over the last several weeks. And it was pretty clear from my first conversation with him that if he was willing, he needed to be a guest on the podcast. And so today I have the honor of introducing Adam Anderson from the other side of the Atlantic, uh, joining us a little bit later in the day than it is for me. Um, Adam Anderson is a principal at Executive HQ. You can learn more about that organization at exechq.com. He's an international consultant with 35 years of professional experience. The first part of his career, he served as a, as an executive, um, you know, sort of climbing the uh, the ladder in uh, in his organization and multiple organizations, and served has served as a consultant. In, in a variety of different areas of expertise, and we'll, we'll touch on a lot of those today, but it served a lot of different roles uh, in terms of delivering results as a consultant in a lot of different industries, uh, to name just a few, uh, finance, uh, medical healthcare, IT, manufacturing, uh, and so forth. So he has a very, very broad scope of experience across industry, uh, serving primarily small to medium-sized companies uh, helping support their growth efforts um, and make them into better organizations. I'm excited to be joined by Adam today. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Scott. Excellent. And Adam, um, I touched on just a little bit, you know, just a thimbleful of who you are and what your background is, but I'd love to learn more about your your career. And and you don't have to give us the the full treatise on it, but maybe spend uh, two, three, four minutes sort of describing your trajectory and how you got to where you are in terms of being this international consultant that is able to work with organizations all around the world effectively. I'm not sure trajectory is the right word. I certainly haven't gone to space. Um, I've just <laughs> been at the level where small planes fly. Um, but... Um, um, I am an engineer by, uh, by education, uh, civil engineer specifically, uh, and my specialty there was, uh, was management of large engineering projects. Uh, so out of there, I joined an engineering firm and um, was a project manager, um, a firm on uh, Route 128 around Boston. Uh, from there, I went to, uh, to get my MBA. Uh, from there, Wall Street, uh, and then, um, then a big international consultancy. Um, then a number of, um, of interim executive level uh, projects, uh, first for relatively small companies with just under 100 people, and then companies somewhat bigger. Um, and um, after about 10, 15 years of that, I, I returned to consulting um, initially again with, uh, with big international firms and then, uh, and then on, my, on my own and with small groups of, small groups of colleagues. Um, I've done it in uh, the initially only in the US, uh, then uh, some projects in Europe um, where I actually moved because of some projects. Uh, so I've, I've done projects in Eastern Europe, Western Europe, Northern Europe, Central Europe. The only part I didn't do is Southern Europe. Uh, too hot for me. Um, uh, but, uh, but over the last 10 years, I think most of my time has been spent uh, on, on US clients. Mm -hmm. um, a good part of that was private equity firms and the portfolio companies. Excellent. Okay. 
Very good. Um, so you've kind of been on all sides of this consulting equation, you know, from the standpoint of being um, an early project manager and then going through get, getting your MBA, going through the ropes, ropes of, of being an executive and being a consultant in a large consulting space and then doing more uh, independent style consulting. And now I think you've, you know, you've found an area, I don't want to put words in your mouth, found an area where you really enjoy and you can be fulfilled and you can live life on your own terms. And you sort of created this, this model um, consulting business. I think for a lot of the listeners or watchers of this episode, you know, they would look at the position and the career that you've had. And they were like, if, if I could parallel that in certain ways, that would, that would consider that success. Um, describe if you wouldn't mind what an average project, if there is such a thing, uh, what a standard project looks for looks like for you now as a consultant, when you are um, brought in to work with an organization or work with a group of people, most often, what are those organizations looking for? How do you deliver value is a, is a simpler way to ask the question. Mm -hmm. Happy to answer this, but you said something about being on both sides of the consulting equation. And uh, I actually remembered, um, I hired uh, first consultants um, as a project manager in my first year uh, after after college. Um, and actually, the reason I hired them is so that they would sell the message that I wanted to sell. Uh, but I was uh, I was too young to to, to carry the weight. Uh, so I convinced my bosses to hire Booz Allen Hamilton um, uh, to, um, to deliver the message. So yes, I have been on both sides. Now, um, the average project, um, it's a little difficult to say. I mean, the most recent project I did, I, I was doing due diligence on a uh, on a U.S. company somewhere in the Midwest, um, uh, providing industrial services uh, to companies in uh, in the energy sector and uh, and construction sector. Mm -hmm. um, and I was doing due diligence for a private equity company, which was uh, which wanted to buy this firm and. Uh, and wanted to see its market, its competitors, wanted to see if it made sense to make some follow-on acquisitions that possibly could be merged with this one to, to create greater value. Um, and this project lasted for, uh, for 10 days, uh, full-time. Um, a project which I ended last year, on the other hand, lasted for 21 months. Um, and that was a very different project with more hands-on um, a role for me because I was uh, I was leading the cost cutting effort at a decent sized manufacturing company in Europe, uh, uh, and this was a company in a very stable business, uh, mining and uh, chemical processing of what they mined, um, uh, about fifteen factories in five different countries. Uh, and uh, the objective was to, um, uh, to to increase income by by reducing costs, and there we were able to to triple the income of the company uh, during the project. Uh, so, a, a two week project and a twenty one month project. Um, uh, these are among the four projects, four most recent projects that I have that I have done. Uh, so there is a, there is a variety to the uh, uh, to the duration and also to, to the nature of it, but in both cases these are strategic projects. So they uh, they deal with either a strategic decision, in this case to buy or not to buy a company, and possibly to buy or not to buy other companies in the same industrial space, um, or to greatly increase the key metric, which is which is the bottom line. Understood. 
Understood. Very good. Um, so let's go one one step further here because one of the most we've had a lot of interesting conversations, but one of the key takeaways, I think it was from our previous conversation or maybe the one prior, we were talking about the concept of business development and your particular model now uh, in terms of how you go about identifying uh, or how potential clients of yours go about identifying you, how you get in touch with them. And I think this this model that you've created, um, this strategic partnership networked model is very, very interesting. And certainly a lot of the viewers or listeners of the podcast are going to have their own networks of referral partners or strategic partners, et cetera. But you've really, I think, made this your primary, almost sole model for business development. Um, and it's served you well for, for a very long time. If you wouldn't mind, I'd love for you to sort of talk about how that strategy, you know, came to be for you, how you've evolved it and what that looks like today, because I will tell you something you already know, which is for, um, folks in our space, uh, whether independent consultants or small boutique consulting firms, or even uh, medium regional size consultancies, one of the most common challenges and objectives they have is I, I want to improve the quality and quantity of the number of opportunities that I have available to me. Whether I say yes or no is ultimately up to me. It may or may not be a good fit, but I'd love for people to know about me and have those meaningful conversations. You've been able to do that through a network of strategic partnerships. So maybe just sort of talk about how that started and the evolution of that particular strategy. Well, it actually started pretty simply. I mean, if you don't have one leg, you use crutches and you work with crutches. And since I don't have one leg, I needed crutches. Um, now, the, for a consultant to be successful, uh, he needs two relevant assets. One is skills, the other one is relationships. Skills is what we are able to do for the client. So let's say you are a CPA and you audit the books, uh, or you are an expert in financial analysis and you, you process financial numbers in an Excel spreadsheet. Um, or you are black belt in, uh, uh, in Six Sigma and you improve processes. Okay, so these are skills. Um, and, uh, and you may be looking for clients who need those skills at this particular time. So it's as if you had a key and we're looking for locks uh, that will fit the key. Mm -hmm. um, the other asset is relationships. Um, you know key decision makers or you know people who know the decision makers and may put you in front of them. Um, you are either have a relationship with these decision makers or you have uh, you are able to develop such a relationship so that you can talk to the person about his or her needs business needs um, uh, and so that is that, that is the relationship side of the story right now this is as if you had the lock uh, that is the client uh, and, um, and you are looking for the key. Now, it may just happen that this particular uh, lock fits the key that you have. Mm -hmm. More likely than not, the client has a number of needs, and none of them is one that you can fulfill, but you have the relationship. So then, then you look for the key to fit that lock. Um, you have a client, the client has a need, and your job 
is to fulfill that need, is to solve the question or help him take advantage of the opportunity. So then you look for others who will help you in this venture. Uh, so the business model that, that I have been using since, um, uh, since I am uh, not exactly what you would call a master in, um, uh, in human relationships and, uh, and cold calling and, uh, and whining and dining the client, um, I have the skills which I developed over the last 35 years and, um, and I know people who have the other, uh, the, the missing part um, of the equation, who have the relationships. Um, and it doesn't have to be many relationships. Um, and they are able to identify the need. And if I am, for example, able to fulfill that need, they bring me, bring me into the picture. Uh, and then we perform the project together. Um, uh, he may be the principal one selling the project. I may be the principal one producing the project. Um, we, we share the fees. Um, it, it, I, I don't call it a referral business because a referral is uh, you call me and you say, look, here is a business card, call this guy. Mm -hmm. uh, he may have a need for, of your services. Um, I, what I am talking about is, uh, is cooperation, is working together as a team. Um, and that is, uh, that, that is what I have been doing uh, for almost 20 years since I left Accenture. Um, actually, before I left Accenture, I was, I was doing it too. In fact, my, my very first uh, big consultancy, which was KPMG, one of the big four, mm -hmm. I was in the LA office. Uh, and um, uh, and this, uh, the, this concept of the two legs worked greatly there. I had some skills, or I didn't have the skills, I had the talent. Um, I was too young to have the skills. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but I had the talent, I had some education, and, um, and there were audit partners. I was in the consulting department, they were in, audit depart in the audit department. Um, they brought me their relationships. Um, they knew clients, they had clients, they did audit work for these clients. And while they were doing the audit work, especially while they were whining and dining, their underlings were doing the audit work, uh, they talked not just about audit, but about other things, about the business. Uh, and they learned things uh, that they couldn't do anything about, but there was the consulting department in KPMG, which could. Mm -hmm. So they came to me and said, look, can you go join me, uh, meet with the client, uh, because I think he has a need that you can fulfill. Um, and every time we went to the client, we came out with an engagement. Uh, we shared the fees, the audit yep. partner and I, so both of us were happy. Um, and, and the client was happy because he had a one-stop shop. He didn't have mm -hmm. to look to, in two different companies, one for audit, uh, one for whatever he needed, some strategic advice or, uh, or a project. Um, he could do it all in one company. Yep. And that's, that, that's essential, is this, this concept of, uh, of one-stop shopping, uh, of providing uh, full service. To your client. So that last note in particular is something that I think is incredibly val valid and valuable. Um, one of the things that, and I'll speak for myself, I think I probably represent a lot of the listeners and viewers too. Um, one of the things I've been trying to do over the last 18 months or so is to start to build or continue to build. I have uh, certain uh, experts and consultants and, and strategists in my network uh, people who I know, like, and trust already, I would trust uh, them to work with me on a project or 
they would trust me to bring me into a project and we have a good, um, you know, understanding, appreciation of each other's respective talents and skills. Um, but I realized that even within that network that I have, there are missing links. There are gaps and holes that I currently cannot fill or fulfill like I would want to for the client if they had those challenges or issues. And so one of the things I've been trying to do is, is to create that situation where if I'm speaking to a given organization, um, almost regardless of what their need or challenge is, even though I am targeting, you know, in my outreach, I am targeting organizations that are likely to have certain challenges or needs. I may find out something else in my due diligence with them about what, what their issues are. So this concept, I, I hadn't really thought about it using that phrase, but it's exactly correct. Allowing yourself as the consultant and advisor um, who the one who has the relationship, the initial original relationship, you become the one-stop shop, right? You don't have to be a, a KPMG necessarily that has, you know, uh, all these different divisions. You can be, you can still be a uh, an independent or a boutique consultancy. And as long as you know the right people who can do a good job, of course, um, you are in effect playing that role of one-stop shop because if there is a need or challenge that the client has, you know who they should talk to. And ultimately the client can choose to engage in that in that role with them or not, but at least you are providing a solution for the client, even though it may not be your own personal expertise. And I think this model is something that is incredibly, um, I know it's incredibly valuable just in the limited experience that I've had with it, uh, but I also think it's something that is somewhat overrated. I think that certain consultants, they want to stay in their lane. And I think what I'm hearing you say and what I'm starting to understand even more clearly is I can stay in my lane. I don't have to go be an expert in all things or you know, a jack of all trades and a master of none. I can stay in my master lane but still fulfill the needs and desires of my client in all these other areas, so long as I can identify those other individual experts. So related to, related to that point, um, obviously having the career that you've had has been helpful in terms of identifying and cultivating these types of relationships. Let me ask this question, what, what advice would you give to someone like me um, who is, you know, um, not starting out, but, but, you know, we haven't had a, um, a super, um, ex, you know, don't have the experience that you have. We haven't been in the business as long as you have. We don't have the, the, the size network that you have. How would you, what would you recommend to someone who wants to build out that network of experts in terms of identifying those individuals and potentially cultivating those relationships? What, what has your experience been and, and what recommendations might you give? First of all, you, uh, you referred to, to the concept of jack-of-all-trades, in other words, um, a consultant becoming an expert in everything so that he can be a one-stop shop being a one-person uh, one orchestra. Um, when, I, when I was a student uh, at MIT, I remember folks uh, in Cambridge saying that the difference between MIT and Harvard is that uh, at MIT, they teach you more and more about less and less until you know everything about nothing. <laughs> and at Harvard, they teach you less and less about more and more until you know nothing about everything. Um, I hadn't uh, heard that before. Uh, so, we, we pull quotes out of the podcast, Adam. That's going to be one of them. <laughs> thank you. Uh, 
Thank you. It's not it's not my quote. I just okay. uh, it's pretty popular um, uh, there in Massachusetts. Uh, but a- anyhow, uh, so so these are these are the two extremes, and and mm-hmm. obviously uh, none of the two extremes is 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 a good one. So. Right after I graduated from MIT, I, I set a number of classes at Harvard. I was actually admitted to the MBA program there. Um, it, so, because I believe that the, the truth is somewhere somewhere in the middle. Um, uh, but yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, if uh, if you do want to uh, to to be um, a trusted advisor, a strategic advisor to your client, you can do that. But learning everything that the client needs is not a good way of doing it. I mean, I've been at it for 35 years, but I would not be able to do what you, Scott, are doing. I would not be able to do what that audit partner was doing, even though I played the role of CFO in several companies, uh, but I couldn't audit the books. Um, uh, That requires specialized knowledge that I just never possessed. And um, uh, when I was 23 years old, I was running a project, the objective of which was to select and implement a new uh, enterprise resource planning system, an ERP system, uh, for a major electronics manufacturer. Um, uh, and uh, because of that, I, I, I had to get a lot of knowledge about, about these systems and about, uh, about IT in general. Uh, today, I don't have that technical knowledge, or I have the knowledge, but things moved forward in IT sure. uh, over the 40 years. Um, so I would not be able to do that, um, certainly not as well as I was when I was, when I was 23. Um, uh, so my point is that, uh, that I don't try to become a jack of all trades. I don't try to learn everything. Mm-hmm. I am strictly focused on the things that I do best, and that also means that I don't try to become a, a, a relationship builder, or sorry, a rainmaker. Mm-hmm. In other words, I don't try to learn how to win projects because that is just not my forte. I rely on my partners to do that. Now, going back to your question, if you are, if you are young in the business, uh, how do you find these, uh, these folks who can satisfy the client's needs? Um, that's actually uh, relatively easy, given that we have given that we have Link, um, and uh, and I am aware of a number of companies uh, that, uh, that that sell these consultants by the by the dozen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so intermediaries, a little bit like uh, like executive search folks, but but what they are searching for is consultants and and for for a project duration, uh, not not forever. Um, uh, so I think I think the key here is um, that each of us, each of us knows a client, a prospect, well enough to be able to talk to him. It may not be one hundred clients or prospects. It may be one prospect, or it may be ten prospects. Um, but that is something that if I were if I were relatively young, I'd focus on, uh, and then. Once I can, because the, a relationship with, for example, the owner of a business which employs 100 people or 500 people, uh, it's possible to establish that relationship even if you are 25 years old. Uh, it will not be a relationship of equals, um, but it will be, but it, but it can be a relationship. I remember having relationships with my rabbis 
um, uh, where I was the mentee and he was the mentor. Uh, and then after a while, it switched and I was the mentor. And, and unfortunately, people around me were younger than I rather than older. Um, uh, but uh, if you can develop such a relationship, if you can, if you can gain the trust, identify those needs that the client may have, uh, and then try to befriend somebody like myself or somebody like Scott, uh, who has access to people, because you don't have to have access to, uh, to 10 people. Uh, it's enough if you have access to one person who has access to 10 people, sure. um, uh, the, the, the right people, right? So somebody who, uh, who, who moves in this, uh, in this environment, in this milieu. Um, and then by, by talking, I mean, I do have people coming to me and saying, look, I have this, I have this, I, I know this guy and he has the following, the following problem or the following opportunity or the following issue. Mm -hmm. um, and then we talk, I suggest some questions um, that, uh, that my colleague asked uh, his prospect. Um, and, um, and so there's basically communication between me and the potential client, but the communication is through the, uh, through the uh, through the through my colleague, right. uh, through the rainmaker, um, and in fact we are together. We together um, uh, are doing the business development, are doing the due diligence that you mentioned, and 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 the business development work. Uh, I may be doing it behind the uh, behind the scenes. Uh, he is doing it in front, so he is whining and dining. I'm doing the hard work. The, oh, sorry, the intellectual work. He's doing the pleasant work, um, but we are working together in the business development process. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then sometimes an engagement comes out of it. Sure. Um, and, and then I become the, uh, I become the front guy, the, 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 principal, the principal provider. Yep. Um, I, I thank you for that. And I was taking notes as you, were, as you were going through it. One of the key takeaways, I think, for me is this affirmation and, and perhaps somewhat of a realization in that it's not necessarily about the quantity or size of the network that you have, right? It really is about the quality of the relationship that you have within the network. Because as you cite, one person can be attached to or create multiple, multiple opportunities. And especially if you extrapolate, multiply that over a period of time, like significant time, you know, two, five, 10, 12, 20 years, then if those relationships with another rainmaking style consultant, someone who has, you know, the clientele or someone who is an executive of a business uh, and you can befriend them over time, those relationships are, I, I can cite examples in my own career, short though it may be, uh, those relationships have already paid major dividends simply because um, they were created and they were properly cultivated over time. Let's do let's do a simple simple math exercise. Okay. Uh, let's say you know the business owner of a company that has ten million in revenues in the top mm -hmm. line. Uh, so that's probably a company that's got uh, uh, that's got employment in in two digits, mid to high two digits. Right. Okay. So that's a that's not the smallest company, but but it's not it's not a big one either. Um, so ten million dollars in revenues. Let's say they have average profitability, which is let's say one point two million dollars, so twelve percent. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, uh, and uh, uh, and if uh, if I step in, I can probably double the bottom line. 
so move it up by $1.2 million. Uh, now, the, the average price to earnings um, uh, these days is a little bit over 10 in, in, the, in, private, in private equity. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so let's say it's 10. Uh, so that means that we just, we, yep. the two of us, the Rainmaker and, and the producer, myself, produced a value of $12 million. Right. Um, let's say it took us half a year. Um, uh, so $12 million for half a year. And let's say, let's say our arrangement with the client, our financial arrangement with the client is that uh, we split this value 90% he, 10% we. Mm-hmm. So we just earned $1.2 million mm-hmm. working for half a year. Actually, I was working for half a year. My my rainmaker did not work for half a year because I mean you cannot wine and dine the client for half a year. Right. Um, uh, you'd get indigestion. Um, uh, so you're probably off, uh, you know, schmoozing on other, other clients. Yeah. Yes, uh, schmoozing other prospects. Um, uh, but uh, but you know, one point two million. Um, uh, and let's say we split it uh, one to four, so twenty percent he for the selling and for eighty percent I for the. So twenty percent of one point two. That's two hundred forty thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars for whining and dining uh, one successfully, one prospect. How many of those do you need in order to uh, to make your mortgage payments and uh, right. and take your wife to dinner once a week? Right. Um, uh, so, so you don't need you don't need big numbers. Right. Um, uh, you just need to, you know, to, the quality. The quality is more important than quantity. I mean, having having one hundred prospects, none of whom pan out, uh, doesn't pay anything. Having one prospect and really focusing on him and uh, uh, and getting turning that into an engagement um, can win plenty of money. Uh- that's excellent. And actually, I appreciate you breaking it down, you know, uh, doing the math, uh, the math process there, because that is very helpful to get to get it concretely in my mind what that what that type of relationship looks like. And that actually is a very natural segue into where I want to go next in terms of our conversation. And that is in your your specific strategic client process, how you engage with a client. Now, obviously, in terms of the technical or tactical side of what you do, uh, you know, that, that type of engagement or that level of engagement is going to be determined by the opportunity, need, desire, challenge, problem of the client themselves. You, you talked about, you know, in this hypothetical, um, it's about increasing profitability. Well, there's going to be certain tactical and technical things that you ask about or look into related to that. If it was about, you know, expansion into a new market, uh, or if it was about, you know, some other aspect uh, that falls within your area of uh, expertise, then you might have a different set of technical or tactical questions and due diligence that you would do. But in general, at the strategic level, going one step higher, when you as a consultant now thinking about your consulting process, what is it? Uh, what does your general strategic client process look like? So when that rainmaker brings you in and you start to have those conversations with that decision maker, how does that begin? What are the general steps of your process? Because there's a lot, there's a lot that there's a lot riding on that opportunity, right? I mean, one thing is you obviously want to produce a successful and valuable result for the client because that's in everyone's best interest, number one. Um, But in order to do that, 
right? There has to be a rapport. There has to be a trusted relationship that's established, et cetera. So those things have to happen. And then you can get into some of the, again, rolling up the sleeves and, and doing some of the work. So maybe just give everybody a general outline of what your uh, client engagement process looks like from, um, I, get, I will say, start to finish. I'll use that cliche. I was brought up in a Jesuit parish, so please forgive me if I sometimes use metaphors and parables. Um, uh, but um, but think of a think of a visit to a doctor. Let's say your, your leg started swelling and uh, uh, and you have problems walking. You walk to a doctor, and uh, the first thing he or she does is uh, examines your leg. Right. Uh, may may ask you to to do some uh, to to do some squats. Um, uh, may uh, may touch the leg. May ask you to bend it, uh, flex it. Um, uh, turn your foot this way, that way. Uh, may send you for for a CAT scan or or an X-ray. Um, uh, so the the doctor performs a diagnostic. The doctor is trying to learn as much as possible what is inside. You know, what is what is under the skin. Um, without actually using a scalpel to, to find out. Um, and then once the doctor finds out that, for example, uh, you have some ligaments that are torn, um, the doctor may uh, decide on, a, on, a, on, a, on treatment, uh, introduce the treatment to you. He may introduce two alternative treatments, um, uh, outline the pluses and minuses of, uh, uh, of each, uh, ask you to, to select, uh, perhaps help you make the, the selection. Um, and then the actual, once you approve it, then the actual healing process begins. Some of it is performed by the doctor, some of it is performed by you at home, some of it may be performed uh, by uh, um, uh, by a nurse or by a, by a physiotherapist. Uh, um, uh, the process, uh, I mean, my process is, is quite similar. So from, a, from this uh, uh, non-human part of the equation, mm -hmm. I diagnose the company. I try to learn as much as possible about it. Even though I've done about 100 projects, uh, I've never been in exactly the same sector twice. Okay. Um, yep. So, so each time I, I learn about the industry. Um, sometimes I have to learn a little bit because I've been in a in an industry in an adjacent industry, and sometimes it's completely new to me. Um, and in fact, no, I'll I'll leave that parable to later um, if we have the time. Uh, so, so I learn about the industry. I learn about the company. Uh, I find out, uh, of course. I do it in part by looking at, for example, financial statements um, and uh, and some other reports. Mm -hmm. uh, so electronic uh, electronic tools, um, uh, and I do a lot of it by talking to people who work in the company, uh, not just at the top, also at the bottom, and anything in between, uh, and by talking to uh, to two customers, uh, a selection of customers, uh, sometimes talking directly. And sometimes doing it, for example, through a through a survey where I can cover hundreds of, of customers uh, at a time. Um, uh, so I am trying to learn. I'm trying to learn as much as possible because unless I know what the problem is, it's difficult to solve it. Um, and um, and the very process of talking to the business owner or the CEO and and his or her colleagues. Uh, to some extent, builds up the trust. Um, 
I inform these people that I am not going to squeal on them. In other words, if they say something that may put them in hot water uh, mm -hmm. with the boss, I am not going to mention it to the boss. Uh, I am a little bit like a uh, like a confessioner or or a lawyer. Um, uh, so I, I don't uh, uh, I don't pass on the information. I keep it for myself. Um, of course, the entire picture that I build, I will pass on to the client. Sure. Let's say who is the CEO of the company, um, uh, but uh, but without uh, without naming sources. If uh, if either the source asks me not to name her, or if I feel that that may be detrimental to the to, to the source. Um, uh, so, um, so, so now go. So this is this is addressing your question about about building trust. Um, I try to do it by showing that I don't know everything about the company, and, and I am using these people as uh, as experts. Um, but also through the conversations, I, I mean, you know, just like with a doctor, the doctor is not an expert in your leg. He's never seen your leg before, right. but he's he has seen other legs. Yeah. Um, so he's the expert in a general leg. You are the expert in your leg. Between the two of you, um, uh, you are a winning combination, um, mm -hmm. and you can you can come up with the right treatment. Uh, so so I I don't have a magical way of uh, of winning the trust, uh, but I simply do my work and I try to do it well. Um, there was an electrician uh, here earlier this morning to 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 solve some of my problems. Um, this was not his first visit here. Uh, he's established, um, or he's won my trust by simply doing the work, by answering my questions, by, by being here at an appointed time, uh, or by calling me ahead of time if he was not going to show up uh, to apologize and to explain. Uh, and these are simple things, right. uh, but uh, many people don't do them. Right. Yep. Uh, and And... That's also a good reminder, right? Sometimes we overcomplicate the nature of engaging with a client. And at the end of the day, it really is about, number one, having their best interests at heart um, and doing the due diligence, being willing to roll up your sleeves and learn as opposed to being um, the doctor. And this is not, this is not a generalization. It's, it's, you know, specific individual doctors that from time to time simply say, oh, I don't need to run the test. I can already diagnose you. I know exactly what it is. And they may or may not be right. In other words, they make the assumption that they're not, to use your metaphor, they make the assumption that their general knowledge, having seen so many legs, automatically applies to yours when indeed it may or may not. Uh, they could be right, um, but they're not allowing you uh, as the patient to offer your ex your specific expertise in your own leg. And so I think that's an important note that you're that you're alluding to and hitting on there. It is a function of humility, uh, but it's not about being humble for humbleness sake. It's about understanding that you don't know everything and that you do need to roll up your sleeves and learn about the client situation before you can make as good of a diagnosis and treatment plan recommendation as possible. Um, absolutely, absolutely right. And what you mentioned, I do do in my work. I mean, when I, given that I have done this so many times, um, I, I do draw parallels and I, I form a hypothesis mm -hmm. um, uh, that this is going to happen or this, this is the reason why something sure. happened. Um, uh, but first of all, it's a working hypothesis. 
And then I design tests which will either prove or disprove the hypothesis. Right. I don't design tests which will only prove it <laughs> yes. because I want to be right. Yes, right. I want to be right, but I, I want to be right by discovering the truth right. uh, rather than by excluding all the arguments which work against my hypothesis. Uh, so the hypothesis is merely a way of speeding up the process. Because if I did not make the, make the hypothesis, I would be testing every possible reason for for something that uh, that is happening. Correct. Yeah? And if I if I have an idea that you know this is the most likely reason out of ten, uh, then I am just testing this one, and right. perhaps eighty percent of the time I'll be right, mm -hmm. and I don't have to test the other nine. Um, and if I am wrong, then I have the other nine that I need to that I need to examine and test. Then right. it takes a little bit longer, but at the end I, I end up with the one that is correct. Right. Exactly. No. It makes it makes perfect sense. It's that it's that it's it is the scientific method applied to doctoring in our metaphor, applied to consulting in in our world, um, and and I think that's really important because. I have seen examples um, and observe them, try not to be a part of them too often, where it is, oh, we've seen this a thousand times. This is what you're dealing with, knee-jerk answer, and that may or may not affect any kind of meaningful result. Or in in certain instances, it could actually be harmful, right? Because we're we're letting our our bias dictate our letting our bias dictate our behavior and our actions, as opposed to letting our knowledge and then our empirical observation dictate our action and our behavior. So I think that's that's a really important point. So as we move through this process, the next place I'd like to go is, is discussing, do you think, continue the metaphor, discussing this um, this treatment plan. And so I'm going to ask you to, to put on your consulting cap here um, and, and share some of your expertise. One of the concepts that you and I have spoken about most that's most intriguing in my world because of what I do, I'm a little bit selfish here perhaps, is what you do around the world of business development, where I am largely focused in working with my clients on helping them identify new opportunities in the market and attracting new clients. One of your very much areas of expertise is in creating new business from existing client relationships. You you were using the the mathematical example earlier of a company that has ten million dollars of gross revenue, twelve uh, percent net profit, and you made the statement. You know, all things being equal, I can probably go in and find another one point two million dollars of of profit, uh, whether that's through cost cutting or identifying new sources of of revenue within their existing model. I'd love to dive down this rabbit hole a little bit, and, and maybe you can pull examples from from your career where this has happened. And um, obviously, you know, uh, keep keep uh, what needs to stay anonymous, anonymous, of course. But um, I'd love for you to describe what you generally see, uh, and not not necessarily talking about for consultants. We're talking about broad enterprise organizations and companies and industry now. Um, what you normally see is missed opportunities that they have in terms of creating new new income from existing client relationships they already have. You can kind of take this part of the conversation wherever you like, Adam, but I'd love to, to dive into this because I think it's it's an area that I don't spend enough time with my clients talking about. And probably the reason is, is because that's not an area where I have a whole lot of expertise. But now 
that uh, you and I are friends and, and I'll even say collaborators. I'd love to be able to make those introductions. So maybe and the same is true for pro possibly some of the listeners and viewers, maybe dive a little bit deeper into that opportunity that you often see in the clients that you have worked with. This is an important topic. And in fact, uh, you, you almost started the conversation with it because you were say you, you were talking about uh, um, uh, your, uh, your, your colleagues who are either new to the consulting business or who would like to grow it, uh, uh, have, have more revenues, um, yeah. have more billable hours. Um, and um, and it, it seemed obvious to you that the way to do that is by getting more clients. Um, and this is also the case in non-consulting companies. Mm -hmm. um, getting a new client is sexy. Uh, if you are a sales rep or if you are a sales manager or, or a sales director, um, getting new clients is just sexy. I mean, you, you are a hero if you, if you win a new client. Um, uh, you are not a hero if you just keep the existing client happy. Um, I have a very different approach to it. Uh, one of the one of the lessons I um, I got from uh, from both my my school and in my school at Stanford in my MBA program, um, we were taught not just by professors who went up in the in the in the academic world, uh, but also uh, we met lots of folks who were owners, founders of companies, sometimes very big companies, um, and who came and, and talked with us. Uh, so one of the lessons, it's a simple lesson, is that um, getting an extra dollar of sales uh, from an existing client is much cheaper than getting an extra dollar from a new client. Yes. I mean, if you think about it, it seems obvious. Sure. Um, uh, but, uh, but, but even though it seems obvious to most people, most sales reps and, and sales organizations will focus on, uh, on, on new clients. That's right. Um, uh, and, and I focus on the existing clients. Uh, and how do we do that? Well, just one, one simple example. Um, uh, let's say you are a company, you are a retail company, uh, mm -hmm. say a, a telecom operator. Uh, so you have uh, you have clients to whom you are providing mobile uh, telephony services, yeah? um, uh, and in the typical model, uh, you you grow by uh, uh, by losing ten percent of your clients every year to the competition, uh, and getting fifteen percent yeah. of the clients from your competition. Uh, so you grew by five percent, um, uh, but in order to grow by five percent, you needed to get. 15% right. new clients. Yeah. Um, uh, of course, your competitors are trying to do the exact same thing. Of course. Uh, so they are, they are getting your 10% who, who departed. Um, and think about it. If you didn't bother trying to get the 15% new ones, you just kept the 10% who left you happy. Mm -hmm. Because people don't people don't change the, the telecom operator um, because it's fashionable uh, because they they have nothing else to do uh, so instead of going to the movies or um, or to a restaurant uh, they they go through the tedious bureaucratic process right. of filling out these forms etc cetera, etc cetera, right picking right. a new program I mean the plan etc 
most people stay with the telecom operator until the telecom operator pisses them off right. so badly that they decide to go through this bureaucratic process and go somewhere else. Sure. I have been there. I have changed my telecom operators. And every single time, it was because they pissed me off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the simple trick is not to piss them off. <laughs> How right. do you not piss them off? Well, first of all, you find out what pisses them off. And it's it's easy to find out because usually these, these pissed off people are very I'll vocal. I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. All you have to do is ask them. Right. Sometimes you don't even have to ask them <laughs> because they are sending the angry emails to you. They are calling your call center right. um, and, and telling about the problem. Yeah. Uh, so, so the trick is simply to listen to the call center, you know, to analyze. Uh, well, first of all, to make the call center available. Because if I am calling the call center and after 15 minutes of listening to Muzak, mm-hmm. uh, I prefer silence, you know, and it will be a simple thing because some people prefer music, some people prefer silence. Give them the uh, option, yeah. wh- why not give them the option, you know, hit nine if you want to turn off the music. Right. Um, uh, I have never, ever heard those words in any call center in yeah. Europe or in the United States. Yeah. Um, and it's such a simple thing. Okay, so the music turns some people off, including me. Um, uh, so that's a that, that's a no-brainer, you know. Mm-hmm. Introduce this option. Um, uh, so you listen to that music for fifteen minutes, and every single minute that you are listening to it, you are more and more irritated. Yes. Um, and then finally, at the end of fifteen minutes, the system cuts you off. Yep. Um, I think we've all been through it, whether we are calling an airline or a telecom operator or, 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 or our provider of, let's say, Netflix. Sure. Um, uh, so, uh, so looking at these touch points, at these channels of communication, not sales mm-hmm. communication, customer right. service communication, so our existing customers. Um, uh, I have been through lots of companies and I have found very few very few that do it well. Even companies that have you know, great uh, uh, renown, such as, for example, Amazon. Uh, I, I was one of the first clients of Amazon. Um, but, um, uh, but, I mean, there are some really basic screw-ups every time I buy a book there mm. or I look for a book, whether it is Amazon.us, Amazon.co.uk, um, mm. uh, or Amazon DE, Deutschland. Um, or nowadays Amazon.pl for Poland, um, the same simple mistakes. Um, so, for example, they are showing me books on the American side, which they will not deliver to Poland. I happen to be living in Poland right now. Uh, so, uh, you know, it would be so simple to put, a, you know, in the filter section, uh, yeah. to put a little button, only the, uh, exclude those that are not deliverable to Poland, yeah. that we do not deliver to Poland. Um so, uh, so these are, I mean, in every single company, I don't care if it's a gas station or a sure. restaurant, um, I find these little things that turn people off. Mm-hmm. And all you have to do is find out what these things are by talking to, to customers and then remove them. Yeah. And most of them are very cheap to remove, very simple to remove. Mm-hmm. You don't need a PhD um, and, and you don't need millions of dollars. Yeah. You just need a little bit. So these are, and, and if you don't lose those 10%, right. um, then 
you just, I mean, you just grew by 10% simply from not losing them. Right. Yeah. Um, that's, that's cheaper than winning 10% new clients. Right. Right. Um, so this is, this is what I'm talking about. And this is something that, uh, that, that I really like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you said earlier that I make the companies uh, better organizations. Well, that is the better part of it. Right. Yeah. And by uh, and better results in, in, in higher profits, because if you don't lose 10% of your clients or your customers, your profits are suitably higher than they would be if you lost them. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, that makes that makes excellent sense. And so in in terms of your process, it really is in terms of that aspect of your process, it's going in, having those conversations with the organization, collecting that data. Like you said, sometimes uh, sometimes those pissed off clients are happy to share with you exactly what the problems are without you even having to ask. But either way, you're doing your due diligence around that that analysis of why are we losing people? Where does this attrition come from? Um, and what is the core source of it? And then obviously certain things are going to be easier than others, but but as a rule, those types of things are usually small things that can be uh, easily remedied. And then it's simply prioritizing them. And then, and then you work with the organization in terms of um, uh, correcting them, I said, removing them, correcting them, whatever it may be. And at that point, the numbers should, the numbers will tell us were we successful or not in terms of um, removing these things to an extent where someone stays as opposed to leaves. It's very, uh, and, it's very easy to measure it. Yeah. Yeah, if you lost ten percent uh, before the project and you lost one percent after the project, there you go. Um, it's it's easy to measure that metric, and it's also easy to translate that metric into uh, into the bottom line. Uh, another opportunity, um, uh, and one perhaps would be a little bit closer to what you do, mm-hmm. uh, is is products. Um, when I talk to customers uh, and I ask them questions in the surveys, um, uh, one of the results I get is. Uh, what the needs are, which are currently not satisfied by my mm-hmm. client, but they could be because they are neighbors to the product right. that, the, that, the, that the client offers. Right? Uh, so this, again, is a missed opportunity from the existing client uh, if you don't add those products uh, or options on existing products. Um, uh, and if you do add them, then again, you can be living off the same customer base, just offering them additional products. In fact, what I was talking about with the uh, with the consultant who, let's say, provides audit services, so he's an auditor, and he expands the scope to also provide financial analysis and perhaps even jump off from finance to, to strategy or to marketing or to operations. Um, by by getting these colleagues to, um, uh, to to these additional keys to the locks, um, so this is also an example of expanding the scope of your products right. um, to um, to make more money from the existing clients. And this is exactly uh, this precisely ties back to what we were talking about in terms of building out for a consultant building out this network of experts that have mastery of areas that you don't have. So now with your own clients as a consultant, you can go in, introduce these other collaborators, partners, experts to provide value through you 
through your relationship that you already have. And you are monetizing that. They are monetizing that. The client is happier now than they were before because you're not just solving problem A, you're now solving solving problem A, B, C, and D. Um, and that's all happening through you. So it's exactly the same. Um, conceptually, that strategy is right in alignment with exactly what you're talking about. We don't need, we. the answer is not always new or more clients, right? Uh, oftentimes the answer is, how can the answer is comes from the question, how can we provide more value and serve our existing clients better um, and make their lives, businesses better, easier, et cetera. Um, that's phenomenal. Um, we're coming up on time, but I want to um, wrap up with a couple of simple questions. Uh, well, one is one is simple, one perhaps not so much. The first one, perhaps not. Um, what uh, is a question I ask each guest, um, and I'm really fascinated to hear your your answers. Best lesson or lessons, I, I won't limit you to one, um, best or most impactful, most important lessons learned uh, about, it could be about life, but about being a consultant, doing this job of consulting and helping organizations be better. Top lessons learned over your extensive career. Two plus two equals five. If you get two people not clones, but mm -hmm. two people who complement uh, each other in their skills, uh, abilities, uh, likes and dislikes. Um, they, the two together can make more, whether it is money, professional satisfaction, client loyalty, uh, however you want to measure it, but they can, they can create more than... Uh, than the two of them working separately. Yeah. Um, and even though I do not have a formal team, um, I used to have, but uh, but then I, I, I did some moving around because of my projects, uh, And um, uh, but whatever. So I usually work with at least one other person mm -hmm. on every project. Um, and and one of the reasons is because they are coming to me with these projects, right? I sure. mean, during the last yeah. twenty years, I don't think I I I got a project by talking directly to the to the client. Um, I I got it by picking up the phone and uh, and being available when I was asked to be available. Um, so um, uh, so so working with another with another person um, uh, is just a great way of doing business in this profession. That is very affirming to hear. Um, uh, I'm a huge proponent, advocate, and uh, practitioner. I try to be a good practitioner of, of true collaboration. Um, and, and certainly in the nature, if you think about the nature of consulting in and of itself, right? A client is coming to a consultant because they know they can't do their best work alone because they know they can't do their best work without someone else who has some other kind of perspective or position or expertise. They know they can do better with that as opposed to without it. What you're saying is the same in terms of working with someone on a project, finding these collaborators, um, rather than trying to go it alone and do it on your own, you can have a much you can have more fun, uh, but you can have a much bigger impact and do a lot more meaningful and important work uh, with someone along the way. And that's very um, selfishly, that's very timely and important for me to hear after starting this new business 
um, you know, just about a couple of years ago um, and having gone it alone at the beginning and now finally getting to a place where I feel comfortable, confident, and I have clarity on how I can collaborate with other people in terms of doing some of the work I'm doing. Um, yeah, it, it is, it is a lot more fun. It is a lot more exciting. And I, and I have found my own experience to be, I can be a lot more effective. I should say we can be a lot more effective, uh, working together. So I think that's, you know, I, uh, as you were, as you were saying it, I was reminded of a particular event. One of yes. my first days at McKinsey, um, I was assigned to a, um, to a merger of two large banks. Um, and, and, we were to write a, a letter. Um, emails were not that popular at the sure. time yet. Uh, so we were, we were to write a letter to, 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 to the CEO of, of one of the two banks, to, mm -hmm. to our main client. Um, and um, uh, I was asked to write, it was a half a page letter. Okay, so this, we are not talking about, uh, about the Bible or, <laughs> right. or, or a short, short piece. I spent an hour or two writing it. Uh, and then, then four of us met. Um, uh, three of them were senior to me, uh, and I, I had just entered the company. Uh, so, so there was also the partner in charge of one of the country offices of McKinsey. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I remember this conversation. And, you know, initially it just shocked me because the amount of, um, uh, of Latin that went across the table I, I mean the slurs, the, um, uh, the 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 swear words, the the criticism. You idiot! How could you possibly? I mean that that comma must be in front of the word, not after the word. Um, and you know, I was just sitting back and enjoying. And you know, I mean, some some of these folks were were calling me an idiot. One of them, I remember, a Hungarian guy. And then the then the Bulgarian guy was saying to him, "You are an idiot." Adam did it right. Um, at the end. <laughs> After an hour of this of this really heated discussion, um, a, I mean, a few changes were made to what I wrote. It was not huge, but right. there were some changes, and I and I thought to myself, "Baby, you are home. This is your kind of place." Because <laughs> because I was certain that none of the four of us could improve on this final product. Yes, I mean, this was. If, if it wasn't perfection, it was as perfect as any four of us singly or jointly could possibly right. make it. Right. Um, and then it went to the client. And then I understood why our project was 007. Um, in other words, it was the seventh that was the, you know, the code of the project. So, so it was the three letters of the, of the client yeah. name and then 007. Uh, no relation to James Bond, uh, <laughs> just, just simply happened to be the seventh time that the guy decided to spend lots of money on McKinsey yes. uh, to, to help him with something. Uh, so, so, you know, working as a team, yep. you can accomplish more. Yep. That's good. That's a great story. Um, excellent. Last question. Uh, if someone is interested in potentially collaborating with you or learning more about what you do, or even potentially bringing you into one of their existing clients because you have expertise that fills a gap that they don't have, um, someone wants to reach out to you, learn more about your expertise and what you do, what's the best way for them to, to reach you or contact you or, or, or get in touch? Well, I know of three ways. One is to knock on my door, but that requires a flight across the Atlantic. 
um, another way is to call me and another way is to write to me. Okay, very good. And if they wanted to uh, reach out to you online in some way, what would be the email or website or where, what should they do? Where should they go? Adam.Anderson at exechq.com. Simple enough. Adam.Anderson at exechq, the letters HQ, of course, dot com. Or just call Scott and, and Scott will um, uh, will um, will put you in touch with me. That is always available. So yes, if you want to reach out to Adam, you can do so directly. Or of course, feel free to reach out to me and I'm happy to uh, to make the introduction. And actually, um, let me let me address one other thing. Since I mentioned that, that I am in Poland, um, I have been doing remote work uh, uh, for 20 years. Um, uh, not all of it is remote, but uh, the type of things that we are talking about, almost all of them can be done remotely. Mm-hmm. So I actually serve as clients from the United States without going there. However, if need be, um, I am 20 minutes from the international airport and um, and I have on occasion um, uh, moved to the client's site either for a few days or for a few months. Um, and in some cases uh, with all my belongings. Um, if it made sense and the um, and the engagement was long enough, uh, so geography is not a limiting factor here. Understood, and that's uh, that's a great insight. Thank you. Uh, listen, Adam, thank you so much for the time, uh, investing the time in in me and, and the listeners and viewers. It was incredibly valuable. I've got two pages of notes, as I usually do from our conversations, but I appreciate you being willing to uh, share your expertise, your process, and and some fantastic insights with everyone today. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure to talk with you, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. Very good. We'll do it again. Thank you for listening. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I want to thank the sponsor of our show, Smart Solutions Media. Smart Solutions Media empowers business owners, consultants, and other independent professionals to easily attract better prospects and transform them into long-term clients. If you're a B2B consultant or service professional and would like to start filling your pipeline with better quality prospects, Visit us on the web at smartsolutionsmedia.com to learn more about what we can do to help you. Be sure to complete this short two-minute accelerated growth scorecard you can find on the website, and you'll receive a complimentary strategy session where we'll give you specific insights and recommendations to help you attract high-value clients. Until next time, make sure you are consulting with authority.